2: Welcome to New Work in Digital Humanities, a podcast channel with the New Books Network. My name is Luca Scholz. I'm a lecturer in digital humanities at the University of Manchester. And this is a new series that I'm setting up together with several colleagues to create a forum to discuss new books and book length projects that have a substantial um, digital component um, from across the humanities. Today, I talk with Marcin Wojinski and with Waldemar uh, Spalek, Martin Wojcicki is a professor of Jewish history and literature at the University of Wrocław in Poland. Um, uh, also, some people also might know the, might know the city as Breslau. Um, he heads the Department of Jewish Studies there, and he published widely on the social history of the Jews in, in the 19th century, on the history of the Jews in, in Silesia uh, and Jewish material culture, and in particular, uh, on the history of Hasidism. Uh, Marcin received countless distinctions and served as the uh, among other things as the chief historian for the Museum of the History of Polish Jews in Warsaw. Waldemar well, Spalek is a uh, assistant professor of geographic information systems and cartography at the University of Wrocław. He worked uh, on a wide range of projects in cartography and geographic uh, information science uh, including uh, work that involved unmanned aerial vehicles and temperature data Together, they created the historical Atlas of Hasidism. Um, It's the first cartographic reference book on one of modernity's most vibrant and important mystical movement. It's a spatial history of a movement that has often been understood as a territorial. It uses 74 large format maps and a wealth of illustrations and charts to show how geography has influenced the social organization of Hasidism, its spiritual life, uh, different types of religious leaderships, and its culture. It's also a social history in some ways, because uh, it focuses not only on Has- uh, <clears throat> sorry Hasidic leaders, but also on their thousands of followers who lived far from the Hasidic centers. So welcome, Marcin and Valdemar. Hello. Hello. Um, so to start off, um, 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 I would like to ask you, what, what brought you to this project? May I start, yes. Valdemar, is this OK? Yes, yes, it's
1: OK. Uh
2: that
0: actually two phenomena that you already mentioned. One was my long-time interest in Hasidism. This might be called an offspring of my research 12 years project on key questions in Hasidism that I started in 2007. And one of the questions was about the space. And another issue that emerged kind of simultaneously was my work as head historian for the Museum of the History of Polish Jews in Warsaw, when on the stage of preparation, I was responsible among others for the exhibition on Hasidism, on re- religious m- life in general and Hasidism in particular. And there I was faced with a major question for the museum. How to show development of Hasidism? Not to tell about it, but to communicate it to visitors who are not ready to read and believe. They need to see it. And there, the first idea that came to my mind was to map Hasidic ex- expansion across Eastern Europe. But then I realized there's not such a map. Hmm. And that was the first map that ended up as chapter two of our atlas. But from this concept, how to see and how to turn a concept that we have in textual forms into something that can be visible, the atlas emerged.
2: Interesting. Right. Um, so how did you, how did you meet, um, meet um, um, Baldemar? How, how did he get involved in the project?
1: So one day I uh, I received an email from Martin and from Professor Martin Verginsky because I don't uh, know him and he uh, sent me a proposition to make some maps on history of uh, hasidism of history of judaism and uh, about on uh, contemporary hasidism it was uh, very interesting for me because uh, i am geographer but my hobby is history of poland history of uh, of the world and uh, history of uh, judaism especially uh, of polish jews so i agree and i was in
0: Hmm. on my side if i may say it, it, it was very simple i was shopping around who is the best cartographer in the area and of all of those, several names appeared, actually, but only one was in Wrocław, available at the university. So I turned to him. As simple as this.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, what, what would you say are the key contributions of this, of this atlas? Key contributions is a difficult question. Um, I would, first of all, I'm not sure that
0: everybody that listens to this podcast know what Hasidism really is. Right. Yeah. So maybe we should start with this. Yeah, sure. Uh Hasidism is a religious movement that emerged in Judaism in the second half of the eighteenth century and throughout the nineteenth century became kind of uniquely a mystical movement that is at the same time a dominant form of religious life of the biggest Jewish community worldwide, which was the Jewish community in Eastern Europe. This is one of maybe two such world phenomena that a mystical movement which is and it is by nature, manages to conquer the vast share of the population that becomes really a popular form of religiosity, maybe with Sufism, right, Are two of such. And what is even more important, with time Hasidism managed to position itself as the embodiment of traditional Judaism. Today, for many people who never heard the name of Hasidism, when they are asked what is a Jew, how a Jew looks like, they would give you the description of a Hasid, a person in a forehead, in a black capota, uh, with white stockings, so description of a Hasid. So in this sense, Hasidism became kind of an icon of Jewishness yeah. and of, of Judaism, or at least traditional Judaism. In this sense, it, till, until now, it occupies a central position in Jewish life. And we, this is possibly the most popular topic of Jewish studies worldwide except for the Holocaust, of course. There is huge interest into this, but at the same time, there is a concept of Hasidism being a-territorial, or actually Judaism being a-territorial, which I take to be totally wrong. And the concept was, if we can visualize with maps expansion of Hasidism, what can we learn about this movement? What can we learn? And that was my boldest statement. What can we learn about correlation between space and spirituality? And the number of maps is trying to trace what is correlation, how the space influences spirituality and how spirituality informs the spatial development of the movement. Um, at the same time, uh, one of important uh, innovations of this atlas in study of Hasidism and in study of Judaism more generally was a turn from elitist to egalitarian perspective. A dominant uh, trend in uh, researching Hasidism as many other religious movements or from 19th century as much of history in general is to focus on the leaders which for many reasons is easier it's more attractive, the sources are readily available but my contention is that Hasidism is so important exactly because it became mass movement so this egalitarian aspect of Hasidism is at the center for me of interest and instead of mapping the Hasidic leaders only I tried to put at least equal attention on hundreds of thousands of random file Hasidim worldwide to uh, to put into this map. I think this is something that changes our perception of Hasidism in general. It's something that is also kind of new for geography of religion, and history of religion, more generally. I believe because we also managed to make an atlas that is kind of unique in presenting kind of meta scale of thinking about religion and its history we have a lot of atlases of religion but mostly they use census data that present us kind of macro images in macro images of continents of countries with distinction by millions of followers of different religions you don't see people behind it uh, on the other hand we have a lot of micro studies but in micro studies it's sometimes difficult to project importance of those micro studies on something that is bigger than than individual, and I believe that our Atlas manages to hit into the mesoscale research that is kind of human scale. We see movement from the from the perspective of in, individuals we see how individual prayer sites were located within wider yeah panorama of prayer, Hasidic prayer sites we see how individual Hasidic leaders are moving from place to place and how it influences religious practices of the hundreds and thousands of the followers and on and on and I I would say this is this is equally important for the study of Hasidism but also for the study of religion more
2: generally yeah that's yeah that's that that is definitely something that that comes through in the um, in the episode. I mean this is this is pretty much a first, there are not, um, um, this, this, in a sense, this is pioneering work, right? This is not something, um, there, are, there are not a lot of maps of, of Hasidism um, 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 before the work that you publish.
0: Very few indeed. Uh, and I think that, that the maps are innovative, not only in comparison to other maps of Hasidism, but also to many maps of religion in general. And I think Valdemar uh, uh, could say a bit more about it.
1: Yes, I think that it's uh, the be- the key contribution from my uh, point of view is that, is that uh, the maps are uh, one of uh, one of the first which um, which. Uh, Which uh, shows, which shows uh, history, uh, historical movement, historical uh, history of uh, social history, not only uh, history as uh, a changing of uh, border of uh, countries, but. um but history of uh, people it says uh, some uh, one group of people uh, hasidism hasid hasids but uh, it i think that this map uh, could be e- implemented in other uh, fields of uh, um historical research and uh, the map uh, this map uh, could be a good uh, solution for other uh, theme uh, other um, other research like uh, history of uh, nation, history of uh, other religious group, history uh, history of uh, social uh, social group, and so on.
2: Right. So, in, in a sense, a model for other yeah for for, for other for other fields. I, I mean, I would I would agree. I think especially some of the would... you can hear we are quite proud of this atlas, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah you should be. we are
1: very proud
2: <laughs> you should be i think it's very i mean in, in many senses also you really see that you um you really experimented quite a bit also with, with 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 different forms of data visualization right um i mean maybe we can so since we talk we're talking about the maps um let's talk about I, I would be curious to hear how you how you how you made those maps so how how you collected the data but then also how um, the cartographic um, um, work worked. I mean, where did you, where, where, where does this, where did you, where does this data come from?
0: Okay, so so I would uh, speak about the data, and maybe valdemar I would speak more about how we made those maps from the data sets that we that we had. Um, I believe this is also um, kind of encouraging for people who think that digital humanities are not for them, that digital humanities require high uh, technical IT skills. Uh, or computer skills in general, the, the, the data for the maps and essential concepts for the maps came from my historical research, and all of this was low-tech. In a sense, it was a, a kind of analog research. It wasn't with a pencil, it was with Excel files or uh, other office uh, stuff, but it's very simple technical equipment. Most of the data were collected from variety of sources, They are available, and this is uh, something that, again, I think something very important and kind of innovative in this map, that this kind of resources exist and are available for research. People say, uh, one example, contemporary sociologists were arguing for decades already why it is impossible to count how many Hasidim live today. And they give many good reasons, and all those reasons are legitimate. Right. But it's only if you assume that the list of resources for counting them is limited to the resources they listed, and I suggested we can go into very different source base. In this case, it was internal Hasidic telephone directories, hmm. and it's not easy source because it's thousands of pages of internal materials that are usually not available for outsiders. So I had to convince uh, uh, Hasidim. Within each group, to donate or borrow a copy for me for my use, and I had to use my students to digest information about each individual household from those telephone directories and to put it into the Excel file. As an uh, uh, as an effect, we have a database of 130,000 Hasidim worldwide, Hasidic families, sorry, worldwide today, and it's a huge database it allows us to count with the uh, unmatched precision, not only how many Hasidim there are today in general terms, but with zip codes for each of those families, we can pin them to very specific places. What is more, we can divide them into subgroups, that Hasidism is divided, because telephone directories are issued not for Hasidim as such, but Hasidic groups within Hasidic movement. So we can say that this is a Satmer Hasid, this is Lubavitcher Hasid, this is Ger Hasid, and we can tell, for example, how many of Lubavitcher Hasidim live in Kronhausen and how many of them live in Borough Park. And we can say with very precise information about hierarchies of those groups, size of those groups, how they mix, where they live and where they do not live. For example, none of the Satmar Hasidim are living in the occupied territories, uh, while at the same time, some groups have as many as 10% of the Hasidim living in those territories, and on and on. So you can not only map, but you can also understand structures from those uh, from those data. As I'm saying, it's very simple. It's just telephone directories. Huh. How long, how long? And this is only one it's only one, it is the biggest one, but only one of types of sources. The and the, the other one that I'm very proud of is 2854 Hasidic prayer sites at the beginning of the 20th century across all of Eastern Europe. And this required me actually months and months of work going through Hasidic memorial books, uh Pinkasim, which is kind of record books, H- Hebrew and Yiddish press recollections, uh, collections of uh, subscription books, and on and on. It was many months of works, but what came out is, again, something that is unmatched in research on Hasidism, because today we can tell very clearly what was the hierarchy of groups, what was the strength, what was the geographical distribution of individual Hasidic groups, what were, were interrelations between them, and on and on. And several other of the, uh, such databases um were were used for this uh, for this map what is important none of those databases existed before the atlas was created they were created for the use of this atlas
2: right so that is all how long did that take you
0: to collect all that data it was as i was telling you this was 12 years project so i had enough time to do it right <laughs>
2: Okay, so so at, at that point you had you had the data. Um, how how did how did how did you um, how did you transform those then then into maps? Can you tell us? Can you tell us something about about that? I this, this before Valdemar before it comes to you. I would like to add one
0: sentence. I collected this data because I had a research question, right? So this is not a blind data. That was, I, I, I had a problem that I wanted to resolve, and I thought that this information would allow us. To see and understand a phenomenon at question, right? So I came to Valdemar with a dataset and a question, and there was his work. Valdemar, it's you now.
1: Yeah, uh, the first step for me it was uh, to uh, to give to this data and uh, a spatial as a space a space. It means that uh, Martin uh, gave me a big uh, Excel. A database and there was uh, only a uh, names for uh, this place and I have to uh, I have to search where the place is where the place is and uh, take them uh, geographical coordinates uh, it was in in a in a most of them are rather uh, rather uh, easy because it was uh, names which uh, which was uh, uh, which was familiar for me, but uh, f- a few of them it's, uh, was a name for places which no longer exist, and the name uh, was uh, was uh, right uh, wrote uh, in Yiddish, as I presume, and, or in uh, Jewish uh, language, in Hebrew, Hebrew, yeah? Hebrew or Jew, uh, Yiddish, but in Hebrew uh, alphabet. So we don't know what uh, is uh, the name for this place now, or uh, what uh, was the name uh, in the previous time? Uh, ex- uh, for example, it was um, uh, Pereyeslavl. Uh, it's a, a town uh, near to the Kiev, which was uh, wrote as a Preslav or something like that. Uh, we uh, we consider what uh, what the place what this place is and. Uh, we agree that uh, it may be this Pereslav. So when we, uh, when I, um, when I give uh, these uh, geographical coordinates, it was uh, easy to take this to the um, geographical information system, uh, Argis by uh, Arg GIS by S3 and uh, in this uh, program, uh, I made uh, maps. I designed. Uh, maps uh, using um, using a uh, typical math uh, met, uh, cartographical method and uh, for many of maps uh, we uh, it means i and uh, margin uh, we um not discover but uh, we um, mm, um we make a new uh, a quite new um, cartographical techniques, cartographical methods to uh, visualize this data. Uh, for example, uh, there was a problem how to how to show on maps uh, um, a development of Hasidic or Tzadic uh, dynasties. Uh, it means that uh, one um, Hasidic leader. Uh, Tzadik um, live, uh, lived in uh, one uh, town and uh, he has a uh, son or sons and they uh, sometimes uh, live uh, in the same time uh, in the same town, sometimes uh, they go to the other, ta- uh, other town and uh, um, establish a new uh, branch of this uh, dynasty. So, how to uh, show how long he exists he existed in this town and uh, what is his um, connection with other uh, other um, people from this dynasty maybe it is uh, he is a son maybe he is a grandson maybe he is a friend of uh, tzadik uh, and we uh, we designed this map Uh, there was a very Mm, uh, there were many um many solutions many uh many non uh, no good solutions but the first uh, the first critics of our maps was uh, wife of uh, martin who uh, who told us uh, this map is good or this map is bad bad means that uh, the map uh, is not uh, readable for uh, not maybe not readable it is not understand what the map uh, shows uh, what the map shows so if uh, martin wife said that uh, the map is understandable we we um, we have to change our uh, visualization uh, another problem was uh, how, uh, what color, what colors we can use for visualization of data, especially uh, the contrast between uh, point and line signs uh, to uh, aerial uh, aerial signs or background and um, it is um, martin uh, idea and uh, i think it's a very good idea and a, a big thank you for you martin that the background uh, should be a very very um, earth fine not fine a very um, pale yeah pale and in uh, um pastel color i don't know how to speak english Pastelowy. pastel yeah pastel colors and uh, the main uh, main theme of maps it means uh, which was uh, which which are uh, shown in uh, point and uh, line uh, signs uh, should be in a very um, clear and uh, saturated uh, colors like, like red yellow green purple or something like that and the contrast uh, made that uh, makes that the maps are for me very readable or bardzo mm, mm-hmm. czytelne, readable, very readable, yeah. yeah, very readable.
0: And this is something if I might add here something very important to me also because we wanted to achieve two things at the same time. Uh, the maps, as Valdemar explained to me, are either to see or to read. And rarely they meet those two agendas, and my idea was to have map all the maps, that would have both elements at the same time, in a sense that each map would be understandable at the first sight, so I wanted to have this wow effect. You look at the map and you immediately get the main message. You don't need to understand the language of cartography, relation between maps, diagrams, scales, and on. That's one way of communicating what's the most important message of the map. But at the same time, each map we wanted to have fully saturated with deep information that after having this wow effect at the one level, you can go deeper and you can read it for long sometimes and get more nuance information about in nuances informations about um, details and on and this is something that was very difficult none of the maps just came as such we each map we had to discuss we we had to use my profane amateur look on those maps and my wife's look on those maps to make sure that the maps are understandable to everybody, and uh, thanks, uh, Valdemar, he had enough patience to stay with us throughout all this process. It was many m- months of designing those maps actually, but what what, what comes out, people say, is not only beautiful but also understandable.
2: Yeah, it's very. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed by how you managed to um, to strike that balance right between fitting in a lot of information but still having the maps fairly intuitive. And 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 easy to read. Um, so w- one thing I was wondering. Um, so Valdemar, you said you used ArcGIS. Did you do everything in ArcGIS, or did you also use something like I don't know Adobe Illustrator or or, or other,
1: um, other software? Uh, okay. Uh, first step of uh, every maps was uh, made in ArcGIS because uh, this is a program which uh, which uh, can um which uh helped me to uh ho- to prepare or uh, um, prepare uh, this big uh, big data but uh, this last uh, step to last uh, step to uh, prepare maps for uh, printing uh, it was uh, it was made in a coral draw because um ArcGIS is a program for uh, preparing map on uh, on screen on uh, internet so it means uh, that uh, there is no uh, special um, special function and special tools to uh, prepare for printing uh, for example um, uh, special um, uh, special function uh, over uh, black over uh, black is uh, always print it means that uh, black color is uh, in printing is uh, is um, how to say it is print on paper uh, in the last uh, in the last step of uh, printing so um, in program we have to uh, we have to check that every black elements points, letters, uh, words on maps uh, should be uh, overprinted. It means that black is overprinted on yellow or cyan, uh, um, cyan is uh, color of, uh, uh, of uh, um, ink, and on uh, magenta. And uh, thanks from them, uh, for that, uh, the map are... Um, um, A much better from technical point of view so the last step of uh, preparing maps i um i made in coral draw
2: okay yeah yeah interesting yeah um yeah the um mm, all right so um what about the what about the um the 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 reception of this book um how how what was your experience um with, with how people how people read this? Do you think that you this Atlas reached a, a, a different audience than um than maybe your, your previous work? Oh, surely it does. First of all, this is my
0: first book with Princeton University Press, which is a global publisher. So the book reaches widely really, but far beyond it. As I was saying, though this is visual material, so it communicates issues that I was presenting in textual way for last 20 years or something. Now those issues can be presented in visual way, not only with maps that we discussed, but also with illustrations, charts, and tables. This atlas has 100 color illustrations. Some of them are unique, published for the first time, and also the publisher put a lot of effort to follow our requests and advice how to combine maps and illustrations So the way that they speak to each other. You, you, before we talk, you, Luca, you, you pointed to the way how the map of the Holocaust is juxtaposed with the map of children in contemporary Hasidic community, right? So this is exactly the way how we communicate certain things in a way that is not textual. Um, And this is one way, obviously, of communicating this. And I believe this is very successful. The atlas is very popular within academy, but also beyond it. And this is my first time that I have such a warm reception from the Hasidic community. Um, And maybe for the the audience, I need to explain it. It's not so that they dislike me before. I was totally indifferent because as every very traditional and anti-modernist community, the Hasidim are very suspicious of academic research on them. They don't believe in essence. They don't believe that we have anything significant to tell them. They don't know already. They believe that we are interested in kind of external aspects of their life, like social organization, uh, economical aspects, which are not essential, that we don't understand what real religious love of the Hasidic community is. And this is very typical conflict between religious and secular communities. In Hasidism it's very strong. In Hasidism there's also a measure of suspicion towards uh, non-Hasidic words, which is again an outcome of more than 100 years of secular versus religious war, as in many other communities. And now my atlas comes to this this conflict, if I say so, which brings elements that are obviously unknown to the Hasidim. And this is something that even if they knew about all those locations of their leaders, they could never visualize it. So I'm telling them something that is important, that is relevant, and it's very new to them. Some of the of the debates about the number of Hasidim. Each of them possibly knows each of the Hasidim today. I would claim knows more or less the size of his own community, right? So people in the Satmar community might know that it is more than 100,000 people, that it's more than 26,000 Hasidic households, or the people in Uh, Sadagura might know that it's less than 1,000 households. So they know those size, but they don't know how it is situated in relation to all other families, all other Hasidic groups, and what is the uh, geographical pattern of their life. And here they come in Atlas into the information, important information about their own group, and all other groups and they compare it and they see and actually i was receiving emails from people saying oh i see that you that you recorded even my own family living in this small place that not, nobody ever noticed there is one Hasidic family here so people are reacting just looking into the atlas for looking for themselves or their, uh, their ancestors or for the families and on and on. So in this sense, this is something that I think in kind of unique way managed to get into the Hasidic community with important scholarly uh, messages. In one of Hasidic journals, there was a very extensive article about uh, uh, this research, about this atlas. It was a combination of kind of of reportage and interview. And most interestingly, it was in Hebrew, the, the article was entitled "Goy Hasid, meaning a gentile who is Hasid at the same time. So I got the title of on, honorary Hasid, thanks to this atlas. I believe this is the highest appraisal of the atlas I could ever get.
2: <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, yeah, that,
0: that sounds impressive. So, I, I was very happy with this indeed.
2: That, but that sounds very interesting. It, it didn't occur to me, but that sounds like a um, it, it, that's actually yeah, it's, it's that's, that's fairly impressive. That's um, fairly impressive that you that you managed to yeah that you managed to get a reception um, for this um, in, within the communities themselves as well. So I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, right, that this atlas in some ways um, can also be um, a model for 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 other publications, right, for other people who. Could uh, work uh, maybe on the history of religion, but maybe in, in in historical geography and spatial history more general. So, um what what would you what would you what would what advice would you give to people who are who are thinking about embarking uh, on a similar project? Mm. Think twice. It takes twelve years to to prepare it. That's first advice. Uh,
0: maybe, but uh, I'm not I'm not good at giving advices in a sense. This is an open field today. With digital tools, we are in position to research things that were that were unavailable. Actually, it was unimaginable that we can research, and today they are they are at hand for us. Uh, At the same time, uh, what is what was important for me with this atlas was that this atlas was was driven by the research question and not by the source or technicalities or technical opportunities. Very often in digital humanities, we have exemplary research which is showing what you can make of this kind of source or what you can make with this kind of tool, but they respond to no question. We are not interested in responses, simply. We never ask those questions. And here... The atlas comes with a question of, of issues that we want to know, the questions that were very important at center of the study of Hasidism, of, of study of Jewish religious life in general. So in this sense, if I was to, to, to give advice, I would say, by all means, use as much of digital humanities as possible, but always start with a research question. Think what interests you and then look for tools and resources and not the other way around.
2: Yeah, that sounds like great advice. That sounds like great advice. Um, uh, how about you, Valdemar? Is there something from from a cartographic point of view that you would say any any advice you would give to people?
1: Yes, I think that uh, everyone who wants to do this pro uh, the project like uh, ours to do uh, some maps uh, on uh, historical geography on history uh, more generally if you want to do this do this and uh, don't hesitate don't hesitate maybe you come up with a much better solution that uh, that that we but i think that it's a very great idea to make uh, maps for uh, history because maps um, helps to understand what what happened in past time. Without maps, it is uh, it is not too, it is not uh, simple to understand.
0: If I might add also issues that I think it's trivial that possibly everybody knows, but sometimes it's important things, such obvious things. What digital humanities and what GIS changes is that the map is the beginning and not the end of the research. In a sense that maps that Waldemar presented to me from the material that I had opened to me, new possibilities of understanding these this materials. I had a question. I thought I knew the material, but only after the mapping, I saw what they really tell us, what they really bring, what are the information encoded. Usually when you have 130,000 families, you see the biggest centers very easily. But what's happening on this Mesoscale what's happening in mid-sized places, what's happening in a wider plane, you can never get by just the eye view. You need to map it, and only then you understand the patterns. And this is something that uh, was critical to me in this atlas. We started with the maps, we did. We also ended with them, but those maps that we presented in the atlas are very different from what we started. Uh, and that's that's the best proof to me that mapping is really something that provides entirely new understanding into uh,
2: history. So for you, this was a way of doing research. It was not presenting something you already knew. It was really exploring. That's exactly. That's, and I think this is typical for,
0: for uh, GIS in general. You you are unable to understand this material, to see the patterns that are in without actually making the first map. Only from this, the your research question is, transforming is asking new questions is giving more nuances seeing the patterns dynamics maybe historical development maybe spatial changes and this this is why then the maps are so much richer and then the analysis of the map can tell us so much more
2: yeah yeah well this sounds like a great this sounds like a great way of of uh, of concluding in a sense our, our conversation on the on the atlas um, before before um, before we end though, i wanted to i wanted to ask you um what what are you working on now what is what is what is next for you Valdemar. <laughs> uh,
1: now i am working on the atlas of uh, one of uh, mountain poland in south poland uh, which was called giant mountains or uh, in Polish Karkonosze, uh, or in German Riesengebirge, uh, it's a part, uh, the highest part of Sudeten. Okay. I I hope that you know where is it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. okay. And my research is historical, obviously. My new project is entitled Two Enlightenments," and this is a comparative study of Polish and Jewish enlightenment at the end of the eighteenth and beginning of the nineteenth century. There is a spatial and d h component into this because one of the chapters will be on the library of the two enlightenments but the, uh, it's not only about this more compar- historical comparative study of how Polish and Jewish enlightenment coexisted in the same territory there is kind of unique case in history that you have two national enlightenments developing at the same time at the same territory and how they react to each other how they uh, influence each other actually so this is my my next project
2: fascinating and it's going to be a book
0: it is going to be a book i have actually part of this book already written i started this project many years ago then suspended it and now i'm returning to finish the book really in two or three years time from now i hope to have a, a, a draft manuscript of this book
2: yeah that sounds great well uh-
0: thank you thank you
2: yeah, well, thanks so much for for this conversation. I think this was really this was this was really uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting, and I think it will be interesting um, for a lot of people. Um, so thank thank you for inviting us. It's very important for us that we can
0: spread the word about the atlas. As you as you saw, we are extremely proud of this atlas, and we are very, always very happy to talk about it.
1: Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for
2: thanks for joining. <laughs> bye. Bye bye.